Welcome to STEM Force Podcast, Understanding Teen Minds, where we explore the world of teenage mental health, looking at everything from signs and symptoms to early intervention. STEM4 is a charity that promotes positive mental health in teenagers and those who support them. This includes their families and carers, education professionals, as well as school nurses and GPs. STEM4's mission is to foster the development of good mental health in teenagers by enhancing early understanding and awareness and providing mental health education and resilience strategies. Join us as we open up the conversation on young people's mental health. Hello and welcome to STEM4 Podcasts. Thank you so much for joining me today. My name is Dr. Nahara Krause, and I'm the CEO and founder of STEM4, a teenage mental health charity based in London. I'm also a consultant clinical psychologist with many years' experience in a variety of mental health settings and a passion for improving the mental health of our young people. In today's episode, we are going to look at early steps to management of eating disorders, which will include referral and engaging young people in making a change. The treatment of eating disorders is complex and often involves input from dietetic, psychological and sometimes medical intervention. One of the hardest tasks is to diagnose an eating disorder and engage a young person with an eating disorder specifically to accept treatment. So rapport building is really important. It starts at primary care level and takes on a specific role. I would say there are three main elements to rapport building. The first is active listening. The second, monitoring. And the third, empathetic communication. Now, you may feel that you do all of these, and I'm sure you do, but they really do need some practice in this particular area uh, in order to engage often a reluctant patient. So if we focus on active listening, active listening requires practice. It's included in nonverbal engagement, such as nodding, body language, for example, and positive reinforcement. For example, you could say something like, it sounds like you've been trying to have breakfast even when you don't feel hungry. You've got to remember, question, and reflect back. For example, let me get this right. You feel sick and stop wanting to eat whenever you feel stressed about things. Also, don't be afraid to clarify. For a person, that feels like you are really listening. So you might say things like, describe that a little bit more to me. Tell me what that's like for you. Active listening is therefore about being able to put yourself in someone's shoes, which is the empathetic communication, but also to be able to listen and ask questions and reflect back in your words what you think they may be saying. Monitoring is extremely engaging. It makes a person feel valued and also in making a commitment. 
as a GP, monitoring is extremely helpful in terms of managing risk. So seeing people regularly and ensuring that the results of your previous assessment are available and that that monitoring is carried out by the same person is very valuable in this instinct. As mentioned before, empathetic communication is trying to put yourself in someone else's shoes and engaging with what they feel. Many people with an eating disorder feel threatened, fearful or ashamed of their behaviour. Being empathetic to these feelings often helps understand the behaviour that you might see in front of you. For example, an angry young person who's hostile and asks to be left alone may actually be feeling very vulnerable and scared and trying to protect themselves rather than being unengaged or rejecting treatment. So addressing their fear will immediately help the person to feel as though you're listening to them and trying to understand the process that they might be going through. What is important with empathetic communication is not to collude with the eating disorder. So what do I mean by colluding with an eating disorder? So what's very helpful, both in explaining the eating disorder to a parents and also in terms of understanding the eating disorder, is to see the eating disorder as separate, but also part of a young person. And part of what the young person may often say is, I want to cook my own meals, or I want to uh, eat in a very clean way. Now, if you think about that from the focus of an eating disorder, that if you agree to that, then you would be colluding with the eating disorder because the eating disorder would want to eat low-calorie food. It would want to restrict the types of food groups that you were eating. So it's a difficult balance between saying, yes, healthy eating is a good thing versus actually addressing an eating disorder, which would be wanting to restrict and also control the eating issues. So your statement, if somebody did say something like that, might be, uh, I understand that you want to eat healthily, but whilst we're treating the eating disorder, uh, what would be beneficial for you is to follow the advice that I provide you or a dietitian provides you with. Once the eating disorder is treated, then we can look at how we might tailor it to suit your needs. Once assessment's been carried out, then avoid direct confrontation or direct challenge unless the risk is high. If you've carried out any assessments or you've had the results of blood tests, feed that back. It's really helpful as part of that engagement process and also in terms of increasing motivation to change. Depending on the level of risk, refer to an appropriate child and adolescent mental health service or paediatric service. You would need to establish a plan for weight monitoring in the interim and possibly also some sort of blood tests depending on what their behaviour is and how acutely physically impacted they might be. Provide the young patient with information on the nature, course and treatment of the problem and weigh up parental concerns versus a young person's view. It's very useful to call your local community eating disorder service for children and young people and find out what their referral system might be.
Waiting time standards for eating disorders are based on severity. Marzipan is the acronym that stands for the guidelines on the management of really sick patients under 18 with anorexia nervosa. The guideline follows a traffic light system based on body mass index and recent loss of weight. In terms of bulimia nervosa, be aware of the diagnostic criteria for the disorder. These include episodes of food restriction followed by binge eating and purging and self-induced vomiting or laxative misuse. This is the primary difference between bulimia nervosa and binge eating disorder, where people would still follow episodes of food restriction followed by binge eating in binge eating disorder, but not have any purge behavior. Excessive exercise to get rid of the food that's eaten is also considered purge behavior in this disorder. Bulimia nervosa is hard to detect because weight is generally maintained in the normal range and whilst there might be a distorted body image, what is present is body-related anxiety and shame, which is hard to know unless a young person will tell you about it. Purge behaviours, however, can have significant impact on dehydration and electrolytes, so it's very important within primary care to assess for those. Evidence-based treatment for eating disorders include a combination of nutritional therapy and targeted CBT for eating disorders. Sometimes it includes other integrated treatments such as cognitive analytic therapy, interpersonal therapy or schema-focused work. If the patient is under 16, family-based intervention for eating disorders should also be offered. The first-line approach for bulimia nervosa is cognitive behaviour treatment for eating disorders. Sometimes fluoxetine, usually at a um, dosage of 60 milligrams, is recommended by the NICE guidelines to help manage severe purge behaviour. A GP role is in enhancing motivation to change, in monitoring associated physical conditions such as gastrointestinal conditions, such as chronic stomach pain or IBS, sleep issues that might arise, menstruation and fertility, blood pressure, heart and bone health, anxiety management. Also, assessing the risk profile, psychoeducation about eating disorder risk, helping and working together with the young person and, if appropriate, their family on developing a safety plan, which would include providing information on what sorts of symptoms would necessitate an urgent referral either to A&E or to yourself, regular reviews, family engagement, links with education. For example, school may or college may need to know about readiness for sport, engagement and tips on managing school trips and what signs teachers and other school staff may also be needed in terms of monitoring. A GP's work is also in continued exploration of making access to services. In general, the relationship you develop with the young person and their family makes an enormous difference. So it's really worthwhile spending some time in keeping that regular connection going. 
So we've been sent a couple of questions. The first says, I often have young patients who don't meet the severity criteria for a referral to the CAM service, but are very much in the throes of an eating disorder. Given the reluctance to accept treatment in the first place, this just confirms to the young person that their problem isn't serious enough or that they're not deserving of treatment. What can we as GPs do to support? This is a very, very common uh, question that we get asked at STEM4, um, and that's because the threshold to accept young people for treatment is very high in local eating disorder services. So the role of the GP in this case is to maintain an ongoing overseeing relationship with the patient, to make sure that there's regular monitoring of blood pressure, of weight and of bloods, to manage risk and to also work on engaging a young person in making change while still keeping links with the eating disorder service. There's a role for GPs in treating comorbidities such as gastric bloating or anxiety or nutritional state. And whilst watchful waiting is not generally recommended in eating disorders, it is a stance that many GPs are having to take due to pressure of services. If the young person lives at home, taking an active role in engaging the family, emphasising the role of regular eating, having balanced meals, referral to a specialist dietitian if available, and referral to the parent resources on the STEM4 website, as well as parent groups offered via BEAT, our National Eating Disorder Services can also be helpful. It'll be really helpful to have a practice management plan on how you work with a young person with an eating disorder. For example, if a young person is being monitored by the practice nurse, they will also require training on what to say and not to say. Parents and young people should have an information sheet on the warning signs that they should look out for and who they contact when they are concerned, including out of our services within your GP practice. Find out what the marzipan system for your trust is and keep an eye on yellow and red signs that your young person might be presenting with. The second question I've been sent says, parents and families have a very negative view of traditional services and don't often want help. What can we as a practice do to encourage early engagement? Now, what I often would say to um, clinicians is that assessment of an eating disorder isn't usually what you're presented with. So you've got to think eating disorder or have that at the back of your mind whenever you're in, um, working with a young person. So looking out for physical signs and verbal expressions and not relying on a single measure such as BMI is very helpful in terms of diagnosis. And the reluctance in bulimia and binge eating disorder to engage, which often includes shame, makes that seeking of treatment in a practice really important. So try and make sure that you get your messaging right when you work with these conditions. So some of that messaging might be to try and promote the idea of early intervention. And you might want to ask your local community eating disorder team and STEM4 to send you some posters and leaflets which you can promote within your practice. Provide some quick tips on sensitivities. For example, you can say to the person, you can step backwards onto a scale if you don't want to see the numbers there. 
you might want to set up some events within your practice and invite BEAT or your local eating disorder charity to be present at that event. Host practice talks and drop-ins for young people and their parents on eating disorders. And it's really important to have regular practice updates or attend training events on eating disorders. To find out more about these, keep in touch with STEM4 because we have an ongoing set of training events, including our podcast for GPs on eating disorders. STEM4 have a range of resources to help you. So for young people, uh, our Worth Warrior app, which focuses on body image, provides an evidence-based approach along the principles of cognitive behavior therapy for eating disorders for young people, presenting with body image concerns and early stage disorders. It's funded by the NIHR and approved by the NHS Ethics Committee. And we are currently recruiting young people to help us trial the app. If you know of any young people who are experiencing early signs of eating disorders and low self-worth and might like to get involved in this research, please contact inquiries at stem4.org.uk. I hope you found today's episode helpful. If you did, then please do leave us a great review wherever you get your podcasts from. If you'd like more information, you can find a wealth of resources on our website at stem4.org.uk. And you can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn at stem4.org. Links to our website and our five free apps designed specifically for young people can be found in the podcast description. And one of those is our most recent app on body image issues and eating issues. I hope you'll be joining us for our next episode. And until next time, keep well and goodbye.